Hi, this is Guy Busick, and I am a co-writer of Ready or Not and The Do Scream, and you are listening to the Don't Go Out There podcast. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to... The Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. Super excited for this interview. We had the utmost pleasure of interviewing him after the release of Scream 22. And now welcome him back post-release of the latest installment in the franchise, Scream 6, Mr. Guy Busick. Mr. Busick, thank you so much for joining us again. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, you've been pretty bored lately. Uh, not much going on in your life there. Just doing a few things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, well, when we interviewed you the first time, you know, you talked a little bit about you know, how you were a fan of of this franchise. You're now two sequels in, uh, released just a year apart, and probably thick into the next installment. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how much of a whirlwind it's been the tw- the past 12, 24 months, probably more? Yeah, it has been quite a whirlwind. Um, you know, we, uh, James and I, that my co-writer on uh, Scream 2022 or Five Cream or Scream Five or, or five, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> five Cream uh, I love it. <laughs> that was sort of our internal joke. Um, you know, we had started thinking about ideas and brainstorming, uh, but then once um, uh, the last one came out, we kind of hit the ground running and uh, it was exactly a whirlwind. Um, but we had a pretty good sense of the story pretty early on. And just cranked it out and, and did a bunch of drafts and it, it kept improving and getting to a place where we were happy with it and Radio Silence was happy with it and the studio and the producers and um, and everybody. So, um, yeah, it was quite a an undertaking. And we always kind of were looking at uh, Scream 1 and 2 coming out exactly 12 months apart going, how the yeah. hell did Kevin yeah. West pull that <laughs> off? Because um, it's just such a tight, uh, tight timeline. But um, yeah, obviously uh, we were able to hit that date and, and, you know, not compromise quality. So, um, you know, we're really happy with how it turned out. Yeah. Now we're, we're post scream six now. Um, You know, can you talk about the almost overwhelmingly positive fan reaction to, to these two installments thus far? Has it been? <laughs> I always it has been. It has been. It really has been. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I mean, that's really nice to hear and, and nice for you to say. I mean, it's uh, it's been gratifying that, you know, some longtime fans, you know, legacy fans that have been there since the beginning have really embraced this new cast and the new creative team behind these movies. I mean, that's something we were always, you know, that was what we had to live up to. And we just really wanted to make the fans happy, being fans ourselves. And so anytime I do hear that from... Somebody that's, you know, been on the ride since the beginning or someone that just joined it, you know, with five last year. It's um, those are the people we really want to make happy and good reviews or, you know, good box office is one thing. But we just want to be proud of the work we're doing. And we want, you know, again, to, to, to do honor to the to the franchise and do right by it. Absolutely. So let's just get into this if we can. I know you can't talk about contract stuff and, and anything, with, you know, anything with Nev. And we don't want to get anybody in trouble here. But we yeah. are curious. Once you guys found out that there is no Nev Campbell, was there a lot of rewrites that had to be done? Was this something you and James as writers saw as a possibility when you wrote this one? Uh, you never know. I mean, like when we wrote five, we didn't know if we could get any of the legacy cast back. And so, you know, right. in this case, it's like we constructed that story and, you know, Sydney was was in the 
draft, Nev read it, and then, you know, things didn't work out. And so we kind of took the opportunity. We Obviously, we were disappointed, and we love the character, and we love Nev. Um, and, you know, Sydney and Scream are synonymous. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a bummer, but we kind of looked at it as, like, how can we turn this into an opportunity um, right. instead, of a, instead of a drawback and use that real estate in the script and in the, in the movie to focus on some other characters and expand other um, arcs, or relationships, yep. and you know, it gave us a little more time to play and delve a little deeper on the characters that we did have, the actors we did have uh, that we were able to make deals with. Um, so it, you know, we tried to turn it into a positive, and um, yeah, it was a, it was not not a fun phone call to get, but we just you kind of in this business you got to kind of roll with right. the, with the punches. And personal note, I thought you guys did a great job. I really did. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So Scream 6, and first of all, I do want to say, I don't know how much of that was y'all's call to call it Scream 6, but thank God just for mine and I know Brian's sanity. Um, but each Scream entity uh, prides itself on changing up the formula. Can you talk to us a little bit now after it's been released since you couldn't before? What was the process like coming up with this installment? Well, I think with, um, you know, our sort of jokey internal um, credo was uh, if the last one was about playing the hits, then this one should be the punk rock B-side. And, you know, the, the last one was such an homage to the first movie. And we wanted that was intentional. Obviously, we really wanted to, you know, reset the table and remind people what this franchise is, why it's special, why it's different, what it's about. Um, and, you know, bring back all those important elements and really, you know. Again, we that first movie was sort of life changing for all of us, and we wanted to kind of um, just remind people of of how this all started. And so, but once we did that, we felt like okay, we've kind of done the homage. Now let's make this our own and do something really different. And I think uh, a little risky, a little dangerous. And you know, start with some some big swings. You know, like let's put it in New York City. Let's start with a very unusual opening sequence. Um, that's going to hopefully make people lean forward a little bit. Like, what the hell are they thinking? What are they doing? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and really just focus, you know, the baton has been passed, and let's really focus on this younger cast, this new cast, um, because those relationships, you know, between the actors um, have grown since the first movie, and now we knew how to write for these actors, whereas the first time you're writing in a vacuum, we, the parts haven't been cast yet. And now we knew Melissa and Jenna, Jasmine and Mason and, you know, obviously Courtney. And uh, so it's like, okay, I think we kind of, we, we're dialed in now to these people and let's really make it our own thing and their own thing, you know, like let's, let's really hand the torch off. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you touched on it just then a, a little bit, but, you know, I know Woodsboro is synonymous with Scream, but in reality, we've only had what three of the six takes take place in Woodsboro. Um, can you talk about the decision to take this to New York and what, you know, if any challenges the crew faced logistically with, with doing that? I think, um, yeah, it was a little big, bit bigger of a movie, you know, and um, those locations were up in Montreal. But um, there were, you know, I think more locations probably, I, I, although I don't know for sure than on five, but um, I would imagine. Um, and, yeah, it was just kind of like, let's get out of what we're comfortable with and familiar with. Let's give the audience something entirely different. And obviously three had been set in LA, um, but most of it was on, you know, sound stages and the movie set and the studio lot and things like that. And we're like, we've never seen a big city with like tall buildings and we could use the verticality of the, of the tall buildings in the city to like obviously construct certain set pieces around that. And, you know, like heights, uh, as, as one of the, as one of the fears and, um, that just really got us excited. We started talking about like a subway sequence and a, the bodega sequence and things like that, that you could only do in New York. Um, 
uh, or not, you know, only in New York, but it felt very New York. It felt very, um, it just sort of clicked. And Jamie and I had both kind of said, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And then we really fell in love with the idea. And um, yeah, we just kind of went from there. But it was, it was really all about just wanting to do something a little bit different. Let's get out of Woodsboro. Um, let's get out of our comfort zone. And the characters, too. Like, they're not familiar with the city that much yet. Right. And it's, you know, sort of another thing they have to contend with is like, this is not our home turf. And we don't really know who we can trust. And you think you would be safe or feel safer around so many people. But that's obviously not going to be the case in this in this movie. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. I I think it helped the movie a lot. I really do, moving into New York. Um, obviously, the opening scene in these movies, they're just so important. And the opening scene in one is so iconic. And I really like the way you guys handled five as well. And this one, too. Uh, you guys decided brilliantly to bring in Samara Weaving or something, you know, that 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 character. And I think you killed it, no pun intended. So talk <laughs> a little bit about that opening and Samara Weaving making her debut into the franchise. Uh, yeah, I, I love this story. Um, Jamie and I had gone away to our, you know, respective corners and kind of like what we did with, with Five. Let's make a list of everything we would want to see in this movie as fans and as writers. And um, then we'll kind of come together and see how much of that overlaps. And then that'll be kind of our starting point about what we each, you know, what do we agree on that this movie should be? And so we had our first Zoom meeting our first story meeting and uh, we had our notepads and I had had this idea about the switcheroo and uh, I was sort of pitching it to, to Jamie and I was like, okay, what about, I mean, like it's already going to feel a little different because we knew it was New York already. So we're like, we're in a city and, and we're going to be in a crowded place. It's not going to be a traditional opening sequence, but the kill will be fairly traditional. It'll be phone call, you know, lure the person into a, you know, a private place, kill, and then Ghostface removes his mask. And then we, we follow Ghostface in his, you know, actual identity. And we see that he knows at least one of the, our, our characters, in this case, Tara. And we're just following this guy. And we wanted to, you know, I, I was like, wouldn't it be interesting if we we're like kind of teasing the audience that is this screen movie going to be entirely from Ghostface's point of view? Like, what kind of movie is this? And what are they doing? Are they crazy? And then that ghost face would get killed by another ghost face. And Jamie had this weird look on his face. And I was like, oh, no, you hate it. And he held up his notepad and it said basically exactly what I just said. Somehow we oh, just wow. like, clicked into the same screen brain. And we're, he, it was just <laughs> uncanny. We freaked us wow. out a little bit. <laughs> but I, awesome. I think from the go, like, we really wanted Samara for that. It was like, we, you know, we want her in everything we write. She's just so damn <laughs> right. talented and so likable and so charming and so funny. And, it, you know, it, Ready or Not was just a dream experience with her. And she just really, you know, held that movie and just held that screen. And we're just like, wow, she's just a star. Um, and so that part was always intended for her. And we're just glad it worked out that she was available and wanted to do it. Um, and it's, you know, she actually told, um, radio silence that that character was maybe the closest thing to her in real life that she's ever played in a movie or a show. And I just find oh, wow. that so endearing because she's, she's so fun and goofy and self-deprecating and all that. And it's just like, Oh wow. We were so lucky to get her for this. So making her a quote unquote, like slasher poor movie professor, that was very early on. That was originally part of the character. I think I can't remember if the professor was uh, immediate or if it came later, but I, I know it was pretty early. So tell us a little bit about this ghost face shrine. There was so much mystery and intrigue going on that uh, with that, as soon as it was revealed in the trailers, 
and from paper to screen, how much of the final product was envisioned in yours and James's heads and how much of it was shocking to you guys when you first saw it? You know, in the script, there were only maybe six or seven items mentioned. You know, we knew we wanted oh, wow. the costumes. We knew we wanted the glass case for Billy's robe so we could see him in the reflection. Um, we knew that the, the, the TV that killed Stu Mocker would be in there. Um, <laughs> we, I think we called out the fax machine. Maybe not the fax machine. Maybe it was the clapper, the clapboard for, for Stab 3. Um, i trying to think what else. Some of the weapons. Um a lot of Sydney stuff and then obviously Dewey because we needed a, you know, a real emotional beat for Gail when she's seeing the Dewey stuff, the badge and all, and the knife and all that stuff, the gun. Um, and yeah, oh yeah. Um, the, the knife Charlie had used to stab Kirby in four. Um, Ooh. I think those were the ones we specified and maybe a couple more. Oh, I think uh, Randy's uh, video store uh, uniform was, oh, <laughs> was okay. in there because we wanted the twins to comment on this is our, this was our uncle's. Um, Nice. But otherwise, like the production designer, the props people, I mean, it was just astounding. Like I wasn't on yeah. set during the days that they shot that location. Unfortunately, I got to see it before they built everything because we were just kind of like um, Jamie and I were up there looking at potential locations. And we saw that and we're like, oh, this is perfect. Um, but then I was, I was looking at dailies and going, oh, my God, there's like, I don't know, 200 things in there. And like the garage door that killed Tatum is in there. And like the happy birthday <laughs> Roman banner and all that stuff. It was like, oh, my God, they just went nuts. And they had to recreate all that. Like only a few things were actual props or outfits. Like they had to go and track down people who owned like fan outfits of Tatum and stuff like that. And wow. And, and like rent them. And uh, not tell them why. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm in awe of of the crew and the team that, that put that together. Like as a fan, I'm still looking at and finding Easter eggs and going, "Oh my god, this is just so much fun." Um, <laughs> hopefully, other fans are are getting a kick out of that too. Did Absolutely. you hear that? Don't go out there, fans. He said the TV that killed <laughs> Stu Mocker. Did you hear? <laughs> Hold on, killed Stu Mocker. Let's, okay. let's relax, Brian. Let's just relax on that. <laughs> you also told us the last time that uh, Dewey was your favorite character in the franchise, and I wasn't on for that interview, unfortunately, but he's my favorite character as well. I'm a huge David Arquette fan, personally. Um, Me too. <clears throat> that shot, when they discover the shrine and it pauses on Dewey's section, I think Courtney Cox just, she, she was so masterful in capturing the emotion of that quick moment. Was it an emotional sequence for you as well, knowing that that's your favorite character? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I still, you know, tear up when I think about her reaction to everything in, in five and to bring that back. Um, and then in the moment when she and um, and Sam are talking in the lobby about, you know, kind of found family and, and being outsiders and how they're kind of similar to each other. And um, when she talks about having lost, you know, the one person she'd made a family with and you hear like the, the hint of the Dewey theme, you know, that always mm -hmm. gets me too. I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah. And, it, you know, we just yeah. we didn't want Gail to be destroyed. And in mourning, I mean, it's it's been a year and obviously she still is mourning him. And every time Dewey's brought up in the movie, like you see how it impacts her. And again, that's all Courtney. You know, like you can only script that to a certain extent. And then the actor has to right. take it over, and make it real. And she she brought it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his his presence is felt, I hope, during the movie. And like the same photo that's in her bedroom in the apartment attack scene was the one in Dewey's trailer in five. They both had the same framed photo of each other. And that one gets oh. me, too. Um, but we, yeah. did just, we didn't want her to be sad and mopey. We wanted her to, you know, be Gail. 
and uh, it's no fun to watch somebody, uh, you know, just yeah. sort of broken and, and inside. And so yeah. it's like, no, you, you've got to find the balance. Gail has been able to move on. And this connection that she's building with Sam, I think, is going to be important to both of them. Um, that's at least what we're hinting at, that they, they really do come to a reconciliation and like, hey, we're really similar. Maybe we should really help each other. Yeah, I yeah. know when I went to see this movie in the theater, I uh, I had to wipe a quick tear and make sure no one saw me do it. So, yeah, that one got me, too. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> well, that's a good segue into legacy characters. Um, Hayden has been pretty vocal about our contacting y'all about returning. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about that and bringing her back? I believe that was in uh, when when five was announced that she came to us. And to be mm-hmm. honest, like Jamie and I, uh, one of the first things we did when we got this project was we sat down together and watched the four movies in person and we made our wish list of like, who would we want to bring back? And I, I'm not going to tell you the ones that we wanted to and haven't uh, because you never know what's going to happen in the future. Never but know. She was, <laughs> she was, uh, she was on the list for five and we were just like, there's just two, there's no room. There's, yeah. you know, we were already juggling three sets of characters. It was the legacy cast, the new cast. And then, uh, I mean the high school part of the new cast and then uh, Sam and Richie. And we're following three sets of characters and you know, sometimes they're together and sometimes they're not. And so it was like, what would make sense? And we didn't think she would still be in Woodsboro. It just kind of didn't make sense to us just knowing that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause she's just so um, defined in and specific in four. And we're like, I just, we just don't see her as still being in Woodsboro. So then it was, okay, what would make sense in six? And we were really beating our heads against the wall for a while because we really love the character and we love Hayden and we're just fans. And so we're like, we got to try to figure this out. Um, And we're like, Oh, is she a bartender? Is she, you know, what's she doing in New York? And it's like, no, 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 nothing feels right. And so, you know, but we weren't going to throw in the towel on it. It was Jamie. I got to give him credit. He's like, I think I got it. I think she's in the FBI. And I was like, that's it. And (laughs) then we kind of came up with the backstory that she's going to use that experience that she had in four as sort of fuel to go in and, and, you know, it's like she has the exchange with Tara about like, I, you know, I didn't want to spend my life being afraid of monsters. I wanted the monsters to be afraid of me. And then everything clicked. And then we also were like, Oh, she could also be a great red herring because we haven't seen her since four. And what if the experience really damaged her? And what if she did kind of go off the deep end? And um, so we knew we needed like one character at the very, very end before the big reveal that you just have to be sure it's them. And uh, she fit the, oh, I love it. <laughs> I know, that, so you know, some people fell for it. Some people didn't, but it just felt, I felt like, you know, she nailed it. Um, and the guys, the directors nailed it. And the rest of the cast really should give you pause for a moment and go, Oh no, really Kirby. Oh man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've had people say, no, and then I felt guilty for thinking it was Kirby. <laughs> I feel like I, <laughs> I betrayed Kirby by believing that. And uh, I just, I think that's really fun. Um, and Hayden is just so great in it. We were just so lucky to have her. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually, I should have asked you this before that question, but I'll, I'll ask you now, did you guys ever seriously consider killing Gail? I think it's always on the table. You know, it's like every time we go into this, there are, there are drafts of scripts that exist where certain characters died. Um, And I will say never Gail, that was never scripted, but you have to be willing to, to kill some darlings, you know, that's, that's what was so difficult about five, but I, I stand by it being the right decision. But with Dewey, it was like, you know, Randy dies in two. And you love Randy and he's a legacy character from one. And so it's like, you got to, you know, to keep the stakes alive and keep people on their toes and feel like this all has weight and importance. 
you got to be willing to do that. So I'm sure there were discussions early on about how do we feel about it, but also there, it was kind of like, well, you know, do we want to be the franchise that's just, it almost becomes predictable where we're just killing one of the main legacy cast every time. And, uh, you know, are, are we just going to, are we going to pull a, a sequel trilogy in star Wars? And it's like, Oh, we're going to lose Han, then we're going to lose Luke. And then we're going to lose Leia. It's like, it just, I don't know. And the other thing I think just on a character level was it's, a, it's sort of a deceptively hopeful ending. And uh, that includes Gail and her, her relationship with Samantha, you know, and, and Tara. Um, it's like, well, we don't want to really want to take that away from either of them. Um, so it just, it felt right to convince the audience that she's going to go, you know, in that last minute when she's about to stab him and he gets her, you should think that's it. Uh, hopefully, but no, we, it was never scripted that she died. We always kind of, we decided fairly early. No, she's She's got to live. Cause <laughs> you can't tell us, you know, if there's an official seven coming or how many more we're getting, but what about you and James? Like, how do you see your contribution to the franchise ending? What do you see it like ending as a trilogy ending as it is now, or would you like to just keep writing screen movies for as long as they ask? Well, I'm a huge fan. I think at some point, um, you know, I, I got to really be careful here about what I say. I don't want to get, uh, again, get in trouble, but I, I think, I think the franchise benefits from new blood. I'll say that. Um, I think that it's always really exciting um, to me when I read something about a franchise that I love and there's a new creative force that's coming in that's going to bring a different flavor. So I feel like, you know, I, as a fan, I'd love to see the franchise continue forever. I'd love to see 20 of these things, you know, over the next decades. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really all I can say, but uh, you know, I hope, I hope things continue. <laughs> if, if it's 20 that are as good as part five and part six, sign me up. I'm, I'm down with that. Oh, so. man, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Guy, uh, you have answered this question that you can't give us any tidbits on if a possible scream seven, so I'm going to go uh, off the script and just ask something different, uh, if that's okay sure. with you. Please. Jenna, Jenna Ortega absolutely blew up last year from X, your movie, and, of course, Wednesday. Did her popularity kind of change how you wrote this movie? or um, We were – I mean, like, we knew her from Five. Five had come out before we had hit script pages, uh, I believe, but um... – yeah, I mean, Wednesday was months and months away, and we couldn't have predicted what a global phenomenon that would be. Um, what I can say is we were able to tailor the Tara character more towards Jenna's strengths because we we had seen her perform as the character. And so we knew her as, you know, an actor before she was cast in Five. We hadn't seen her play Tara yet. And so having seen that in Five, we knew from Five just because she was so captivating and you know really just blew everyone away that like Tara was going to have an expanded role in six we really wanted to expand the sisters as almost co-leads um so I would just say just it was really just going off of five but we didn't you know x hadn't come out when we started writing uh we hadn't seen that so we just couldn't I mean I it sounds silly to say we couldn't have predicted how big she was going to be because of course we could because we'd seen her in five and we're like she's a star <laughs> she's gonna blow up and uh and of course she did and you know, hey, the time it worked out for us. I, I, I imagine we got some Wednesday fans in the seats, which uh, which only helped everybody. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think Jenna Ortega is fantastic. Absolutely. Totally agree. She's amazing. Obviously, Scream is known for being meta, you know, the yep. that term that comes along and, and commenting on what's going on in horror. As you're writing five and six, do you find it more difficult to comment on what's going on in the horror landscape, or is it easier, or – what is your process with kind of balancing that? Is this meta enough for this franchise or do we even care about that anymore? 
Uh, yeah, we definitely care about it. I mean, it's part of the DNA of the of the whole franchise, and it, it's like Mindy says in Five, it's a meta slasher who done it, right? That's kind of the the big three of every Scream movie, and uh, you know, it's a murder mystery, but it's it's in a conversation with its audience about pop culture, and specifically horror movies in in many of the movies, uh, the the Scream movies. So we kind of. <sighs> I guess where we start is the sort of why does this movie earn its place in the franchise? And I think part of um, five was, was two things. It was commenting on requels because that was such a big trend at the time. Um, You know, the legacy sequel uh, idea. And the other thing was the toxic fandom. And we just felt like we had something to say about that because of, you know, the last few years on online, on Twitter, on Reddit, whatever, just, you know, getting things just getting really, really ugly. And um, we were just like that, you know, we hate that we are fans and we understand that fans are passionate and, um, you know, Scream fans are like the best fans. Uh, you know, we've had nothing but but almost 100 percent great experience with interacting with Scream fans. But we we're like, we really want to comment on this. And Scream feels like the best place to do it because um, it's a movie that talks about movies and talks about movie fans and talks about movie culture. Um, and uh, and then there was also the, you know, the whole uh <laughs> conversation about quote unquote elevated horror. We're like, we got to comment on that because it's so hilarious. Right. The, these creators, you know, the Ari Asters and the Robert Eggers, they're not the ones slinging that term around somehow, right. it's just, you know, in the press or in right. the fandom or right. whatever, or the studio right. execs. It's like, we, we want it to be elevated horror as if, as if, uh, you know, not all horror could be smart and good. Um, so we're like, we got to We got to talk about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> and then with six, it was really the sort of like, the conspiracy theory stuff, you know, it's like how building the, the piece of the puzzle that was Sam being falsely accused of the events of, mm-hmm. of five. Um, so that was kind of interesting too, where it's like, you can kind of, people are ready to believe the worst about anybody, you know, it just You're takes right. the slightest bit of evidence and it, you know, facts don't count anymore. Facts don't matter. It's just, I want to believe that this person is this way and I'm going to believe it. Um, and we wanted to get away from the stab stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like the, the shrine itself was just such a meta element uh, we could use to, to comment on, you know, the, the <laughs> Stu Mocker, if you believe he's dead, as Mindy says, um, and yeah. some of the fun stuff out there uh, in fandom. Um, yeah, I think it was just like, let's let's talk about franchises in this one. As Mindy's monologue, you know, in, the, in five was about requels. This one's about being part of, you know, an IP that's just going to, you know cynically be exploited and now right. this can happen right. in a franchise and this can happen in a franchise and no one's safe. And, you know, so I think that was sort of the movie thing we were commenting on this time was just like endless sequels. And now, you know, what, what are the rules now that we've blown past the requel? Like it can't just be a sequel right. to the requel. It's, it's gotta be ticking all these other boxes for corporations. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey God, what's your favorite elevated horror movie? <laughs> well, if I believed in that term, I would tell you. <laughs> Scream, when I talk say, about Scream, one of the most smartly written movies of all time, Nico. <laughs> well, I'd like to think it has something to say, and that Ready or Not has something to say, and it's, you know, it's we're not beating you over the head with it. We want it to be a fun ride, but um, just for the record, I love those creators, uh, you know, Jennifer Kent, Baba Duke, you know, and, and Ari Aster, and all their movies, like, I own all their movies on, on 4k, you know, UHD discs, you know, and digitally in some cases. So I'm like, I have, you know, we're not making fun of the movies. We're making fun of the people that that use the term, I think, uh, and and kind of haven't, don't even really know how they're defining it, but it's like, Oh, it was smart and made me think. So it must not be horror. It's gotta be something (laughs) else. It's gotta be horror plus or whatever. I just think it's very silly. Absolutely. I'm in a bunch of horror groups on Facebook 
And you're right, fans, especially horror fans, they can be the best, but they can also be the worst. They hate everything <laughs> new, it seems like. And if it wasn't the original or if it didn't come from the 80s, it's just terrible. And it's it's very annoying, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a really good experience with our fans. I, I can't say enough. I mean, it's, just, it's a That's very great. supportive sort of family feeling. And I, I'm really grateful yeah. to the fans for supporting us and, and going to see these movies. Yeah. Did you ever consider having the majority of this movie take place on a boat ride to New York? Because um... <laughs> no, oh man, I mean we had we had to we had to address that. So you've got that playing in yeah. In, uh, That's awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> we were just, I mean, that was, that was the first thing that Jamie and I were uh, we were like, oh god, it, it can't be Ghostface takes Manhattan. We got, we got to like, actually be in New York. We have to start in New York and stay in New York. That would have been the most meta title of all time. I'll give you that. Well, okay. I mean, we could ask you questions about screen probably for the next hour, but we'll, I know, we don't want to hold you up too much. I do have one more last thing that's not screen related. Um, okay. you know, we talked about it just a touch in our previous interview last year. Uh, so I wanted to kind of get an update. Um, you said you're co-writing the new Final Destination movie. Is it true you guys are set to film in this summer in Vancouver, maybe? Or, or are we that far along in the process? Is there anything you can tell us about any of that? I wish I could. It's another one where I'm just not allowed. Um, I appreciate the interest in it. You know, I'm excited about that, too. I will say things have yeah. moved forward a great deal since our last conversation. And, Good. you know, I'm, I'm hopeful um, for continued movement and momentum. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess that's all I can say about it. But I'm, I'm also still very excited it. about it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. As long as it's still happening and it's coming out, that's yep. all I care about. That's, that's all we need. Yep. <laughs> I think I think we'll all agree that that franchise is in good hands if you're one of the writers. So we no, absolutely absolutely. believe in you. Uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to shout out your social media or uh, shout out any other projects that you have going on that you'd like the fans to know about. Oh, man, I wish I could uh, talk about a lot of them, um, but they haven't been announced yet. So I will say I, um, I not sure if it was uh, I know we had a couple of false starts due to technical difficulties, but there is a, a, a genre movie that is shooting in just a few weeks um, that uh, will be announced, I think, this week or next, I hope. Um, oh, nice. And I'm really, really excited about that. It's, it's a little it's something a little different for me. And so um, I I like that it's um, a little outside the wheelhouse. I get to stretch a little bit. Um, but, yeah, social media. I'm on Twitter at Guy Busick. And um you can find me there. I, you know, don't tweet all the time, but uh, I've met a lot of cool fans there and and other creators in the business. And so Twitter's been good for one thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Uh, just want to say, and you know, if you do another one, put our logo, our podcast, in the guy's apartment before he's killed. We'd appreciate that. I don't know how much that would cost for that <laughs> that ad placement, but we'll take it. Uh, thank you again, Guy. We really appreciate yeah, your blast to talk to. Uh, uh, I love talking to you just because you have a great horror mind. You're very passionate you. like we are and very relatable. And uh, I really appreciate talking to you. So thank you. Oh, yeah, it's my pleasure, you. guys. I always have fun talking to you guys. And uh, I'd love to come back on, on the next one, uh, whatever it is. And whichever. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Next one for what? <laughs> whichever, whichever franchise or non-franchise movie. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, you're welcome. Anytime, guy. Yes. You're welcome back anytime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> Rebecca Gayhart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I didn't catch that. <laughs> what? 
All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we'll let you go. Have the rest of your day. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. <laughs> All right. Have a good weekend. Thank you, guys. Oh, man. That Bye-bye. was great. Just want to remind everybody. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.